Well, it's good to be with all of you this morning. And uh, just as uh, Pastor Jacob Baum was praying for me and my family and uh, for our church, we have also, you know, prayed several times for all of you in the past. Uh, in fact, I remember, you know, while you were praying, just two weeks back, we were praying for all of you in our pastoral prayer. So it's so good to, you know, be with you this morning. And I'm really, really grateful to God for this opportunity to minister to all of us from God's Word. And uh, yeah, thankful for Pastor Jacob for allowing me to preach this morning. And uh, we really, really enjoy this sweet partnership in the gospel that we have with all of you. And uh, we uh, always, you know, are happy to hear how the Lord is working in you and through you in this local fellowship and how our Lord Jesus Christ is building his church by his word. If you have your Bibles with you, could you please turn to Matthew's Gospel? And uh, I'm going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses beginning from 17 till 20. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses beginning from 17. <clears throat> Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word for us. Well, what are we to think about the Old Testament? How are we to view the first half of the Bible, the 39 books that form the Old Testament? Let me tell you about two men who had very different thoughts about the Old Testament. The first man is called Marcion. Marcion was a heretic who lived about 150, 170 years after the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the many reasons he was called a heretic because he rejected the Old Testament. Like many people today, he liked Christ, he liked the teachings of Christ in the New Testament. But he didn't like the wars and the rules that we see in the Old Testament. So he took out his scissors and he cut out the Old Testament from the Bible. And he cut out all the references of the Old Testament that he found in the New Testament. The second man is called A.J. Jacobs. And I found him to be very bizarre, very strange. You can, you know, read more about him and learn more about him if you Google his name. But, uh, you know, he is actually a journalist and an author of not one or two, but actually four New York Times bestsellers. And in 2007, he wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically. And in this book, he describes his attempt to follow every rule of the scripture as literally as possible. So he tried not to covet, not to gossip, not to shave the corners of his beard, and not to wear clothes made of, made of mixed fiber. And he spent time learning from various groups that takes the Bible literally. 
So he spent time with those who, you know, people like, you know, creationists to people, you know, those who handle snake literally in their hands. So he spent time with them. And after a year of trying to follow the Bible literally, he concludes that no one actually takes the Bible literally. They actually just pick and choose certain parts to follow. So he says, and I quote, the key is to pick and choose the right parts, parts of the Bible about compassion, parts of the Bible about uh, tolerance, as opposed to the parts that say that homosexuality is a sin or adultery is a sin. In the verses that we are looking this morning, we see that Jesus refutes both A.J. Jacob's view and Marcion's views of the Old Testament. And these verses, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, come as a part of the greatest sermon that our Lord Jesus Christ preached, which is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord Jesus Christ started this sermon by giving us a description of the citizens of his kingdom. So if you look at chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, you will see that he gives us eight different characteristics of not eight different kinds of Christians, Rather, he gives us eight different characteristics that should characterize every Christian. Following that, in chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, Jesus describes the influence of the citizens of, the, of his kingdom. With two everyday household pictures, that is the picture of salt and light, Jesus describes our influence in a negative way and also in a positive way. Negatively, he says that believers are to stop the rot in a decaying world. That is, what, that is what we are called to be. We are called to be salt in this decaying world. And positively, we are called to spread the light in a dark world. And now in chapter 5 verse 17, he's beginning a new section of his sermon. Or as we would say, you know, he's beginning a new point in his sermon and this starts from chapter 5 verse 17 and it goes all the way till chapter 7 verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, could you please, please look at chapter 5 verse 17 and then turn to chapter, five, uh, chapter 7 verse 12. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And then turn to chapter 7 verse 12. He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So do you see that, you know, th this whole statement, is the whole teaching of Jesus is bracketed between these two statements, the law and the prophets. The law, he begins this section with the law and the prophets, and he ends the section with talking about the law and the prophets. And just so you know that the law and the prophets is the New Testament way of describing the whole of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is uh, sometimes referred to as the scriptures. So if you go to John chapter 10 verse 35, that's where Jesus said the scripture referring to the Old Testament. Sometimes it is called the law and the prophets and the Psalms in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus was talking to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. That's where he said the law and the prophets and the Psalms testify about me. And sometimes it's called the law and the prophets and sometimes just the law. So, verse 17, he says, law or the prophets. Verse 18, he says, the law, which means the same thing. And this section that starts from chapter 5, verse 17, and goes all the way till chapter 7, verse 12, is about the correct understanding of the Old Testament. 
and 5, 17 to 20, we see that our Lord Jesus Christ is giving us an introduction to understanding the Old Testament. And we are going to be looking at these, two, uh, these four verses under two main headings this morning. First, Christ fulfills the law, verses 17 and 18. Second, Christians obey the law. Christ fulfilled the law so that Christians can now obey the law as God intends. That's the point of the whole sermon. That's the point of the whole paragraph that we'll be looking at this morning. Christ fulfilled the law so that Christians can now obey the law as God intends. But let me ask you, have you ever been corrected uh, for misreading someone? You know, perhaps it might have happened that uh, you thought of someone to be very kind and gentle and maybe very, you know, uh, you know, very, very friendly. Or maybe you thought of someone to be very rude or maybe socially awkward. Only to realize later on that the opposite was actually true about that person. Well, people had thought wrongly about Jesus ever since he first arrived on the public scene, so much so that he had to correct these people right away, you know, when he first arrived. Many in Jesus' day thought that Jesus had come to, you know, throw the Old Testament in, into the dustbin, or as, you know, you Americans would say, trash can. Uh, that's what people thought. And, uh, you know, after all, you know, they, they, they heard him say that, uh, you know, uh, you know they, they saw him that, you know, he was actually healing the people on Sabbath. In fact, at one point of time, he even said that uh, it's not what goes, uh, you know, goes inside of man that makes him unclean, but it's, it's what comes out of man, that is anger, sexual immorality, that makes a man unclean. In fact, they also saw him eating and hanging out with sinners in tax collector. And now when they saw him talking about uh, the righteousness that comes not by obeying the law, but, by, but, but through him, they thought he has come to scrap the whole Old Testament. You know? And do you see that in chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, Jesus said that being persecuted for righteousness sake and being persecuted on my account is the one and the same thing. So righteousness, Jesus is saying, is all about me. It's not about obedience to the law. Therefore, these people thought, well, he has come to trash the law. Jesus replied in verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says it plainly and clearly that he has not come to scrap the law, set aside the law, dismantle the law, pick apart the law, annul the law. No, far from abolishing the law, he has come to fulfill the law. So in other words, the Old Testament scriptures, starting from Genesis to Malachi and everything in between, are not irrelevant to his arrival, rather they are the reasons for his arrival. For he said that he came precisely to fulfill the law or the prophets. Now a million dollar question, what does it mean for Jesus to fulfill the law and the prophets? Well, it's true that Jesus kept the law perfectly. We see that Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, that uh, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. So we agree that, yeah, Jesus fully uh, fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, and in that sense, he actually fulfilled the law. He secured our, our righteousness as he fulfilled the law, and in that sense, we, we agree that, you know, he fulfilled the law. 
And of course, we also agree that he fulfills the pre predictive prophecies about him that are given in the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll find that there are about 300 prophecies uh, about Christ that are fulfilled you know, during his life, his birth, his ministry, his uh, death, resurrection, and ascension. Just to quote some of them, think about his miraculous birth in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. All in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7. Think about the dangerous journey he took down to Egypt as he was hunted by Herod. Matthew chapter 2 verse 15. All in fulfillment of Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Or think about leaving him Nazareth to live in uh, uh, Capernaum. Matthew chapter 4 verse 14. All in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. Think about the distinct ways Jesus taught in his ministry. He said, I will open my mouth in parables. This is what we read in Psalm 78 verse 2. Think about his desertion by his friends as foretold by Zechariah. Think of his abandonment at the cross as the psalmist predict, predicted in Psalm 22. Or think of his, uh, you know, paying penalty for our sins. We read in Deuteronomy that cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. So do you see that, you know, there are so many prophecies that were fulfilled during the life and the ministry and the death and even at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So friend, if you are here today and if you are skeptical about Christ or if you know someone, you know, who is skeptical about Christ, you know, who is not convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one and the true and the living God, then you can ask that person, who else except Jesus could have fulfilled all of these prophecies? And what do these prophecies say about him? Is he just a mere man? Is he just a mere teacher? Or is he beyond that? Is he, you know, someone who created all things and sustains all things as we were reading this morning as we started the service? But I think when Jesus said that I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he isn't simply talking about the predictive prophecies that were fulfilled during his life and ministry. I think he's saying much more than that. He says that even the stuff in the Old Testament that doesn't look so predictive, it's all about me. It, it, it all points towards me. So for example, the stuff about Adam, it points to a better Adam. You know, it, it's, it's all about me. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22. That you know, the first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. The stuff about Boaz in the book of Ruth, it points to the ultimate redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. The stuff about temple, it points to the new temple, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 2. The stuff about Moses points towards the ultimate Moses. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2 and 3, I think in chapter 3. One writer says that the word fulfill literally means fill up and fill out. So in that sense, Jesus fills up and fills out everything in the Old Testament scriptures. Just as a fetus is fulfilled in the adult human, in the same way our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament. Or think about the coloring sheet. You know, just as you know, you give a coloring sheet to a kid, and when it is filled out, you know, in the same way, Christ is the one who fills up and fills out the Old Testament scripture. And I think that's why I feel it is more accurate to say about these verses that these verses isn't uh, necessarily talking about his relationship to the law. Rather, 
laws relationship to him that would be a little bit more accurate to say because he's the point of all of it he is the one who brings it to its goal to its fruition he all, all the scripture finds its purpose its uh, true meaning its fulfillment in christ and since the old testament is all about jesus it's of abiding worth that's what verse 18 is all about jesus says that for truly i say to you until heaven and earth pass away not an iota not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished notice there are two untils in this verse god's word god's word will endure until heaven and earth pass away or until heaven and earth endures and then he says god's word won't disappear until everything is accomplished and that's the nature of the old testament you know it's the nature of the old testament is that it is to be fulfilled it uh, makes promises and all these promises find their fulfillment in our lord jesus christ and notice to that uh, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of pen will dis- disappear from the old testament one scholar noted that there are about 66000 yods in hebrew language they call it yod you know those little dots those little hooks in the in the hebrew language and he says that you know all of these will be accomplished you know all of them won't disappear from the scripture the lord jesus christ is believing and he's saying that every word every punctuation mark every comma in the old testament was put there by god and is not going and and will remain there until everything is accomplished to put it more technically our lord jesus christ believed in the divine inspiration of the scripture of the old testament the verbal inspiration of the old testament let's apply this you know the fact that the old testament points to jesus and is declared inspired by jesus has many implications for our lives i think the first is that we must believe the old testament if we claim to be followers of jesus we cannot have a lower view of the old testament than our lord jesus christ did you know if jesus had a higher view of the old testament then we should also have a higher view of the scripture part of our commitment to him as the lord is our commitment to believing the old testament and all of it even the parts that we find it hard even the parts that we find it, we struggle to believe and understand parts that men like aj jacobs and marcian disregard and disbelieve so for example if uh, jesus believed in little adam so must we if jesus believed in jonah and the giant fish then so must we if jesus believed in the miracles of exodus then so must we and even though our friends at school or even though our coworkers might insult us might say all kinds of evil things to us on behalf of our lord jesus christ this is what jesus was saying you know in the later, uh, in the earlier part of the sermon on the mount you know if you know people people say these things to you on my account remember that you know you are carrying my name and carrying jesus name and carrying his word is one and the same thing part of believing the living word of the lord includes belie- believing the written word of the lord jesus christ so we are to believe the old testament secondly we are to read the old testament it's good to read you know new testament it's good to read you know uh, psalms and proverbs it, it, it's good you know that's a part of the scripture but i think we should also be reading the whole 
counsel of God. Not just Psalms, not just, you know, parts of the Old Testament, but even books that are harder to understand because all of these books gives us more appreciation about our Lord Jesus Christ. All these books points towards the, you know, uh, the central point of the scripture that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to read the Old Testament, not like a Jew, but we are to read the Old Testament Christocentrically, meaning seeing Christ as the central point of all of the scripture. So we don't just read the Old Testament simply uh, as a tale of moral tales, isn't it? We don't, read, we don't read the story of David and say, well, I have to be courageous like David. Or I have to be, uh, you know, I, I have to be meek like Moses. Or I have to be wise like Solomon. You know, we don't read the Old Testament like that. The problem in reading the Old Testament like that is that it actually boils the whole, whole of the Old Testament simply to, um, you know, to, uh, to, to morality. Hence, we, we, it actually completely misses Christ. It actually completely misses the point of the passage also. It actually completely misses the point for which the writers are writing the old, you know, the, these books. And it also creates pride when we obey God's word. And when we fail to obey it, it creates guilt in us. And it, I think it also assumes that if we live like that, God will bless us. And thus it turns the message of Christianity from grace to a religion of works. So instead of reading the Old Testament as if it's all about us or as if it is immediately about us, we should be reading the Old Testament first of all as if it is all about Christ. Dick Lucas, who was a minister in England, he had this uh, very famous line. He used to say, the scripture is about us but not immediately about us. Not immediately about us. We first of all have to see the scripture and see how is it pointing me to Christ? How is it preparing me to Christ? If we are reading the Old Testament passage. And how does Jesus live this out? And how does he helps me live this out today? So for example, the story of King David killing Goliath does not teach me how to be courageous. Instead, it points me to a greater David who went up before the real giant, the giant of sin and death, and single-handedly defeated the death to rescue God's people. Similarly, the story of you know, Moses' deliverance from the slavery in Egypt does not talk about you know, how to be humble and how to be a good leader like Moses. He was good, you know, he was a good, humble leader, but it ultimately points me to a better Moses, the mediator of a better covenant that rescues me from, from the slavery of sin and death and brings me not in some real estate in Middle East, but it actually brings me into the very presence of God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews chapter, in chapter 3. He says that this is what, you know, the new Moses is all about. And then he says that you, you people of God, should not harden your hearts as these people did in the days of rebellion when they were walking in the wilderness for 40 years and God was upset because they did not believe me. This is how we ought to be reading the Old Testament. Likewise, all the wisdom literature points me to Christ who is the ultimate wisdom. Paul says in Corinthians that uh, though the world find the wisdom of the cross foolish, yet it is in the message of the cross, God displayed his power. Christ is the wisdom of God. This is how we ought to be reading the Old Testament because Christ fulfills 
the old testament it all points towards him it all it is all about him now it's easy to think that since jesus kept the law perfectly and entirely you know we don't have to worry about obeying the scripture we can just throw it all away well far from throwing it all away we must obey it as it all points to christ and we must we must obey it as it is all fulfilled in christ notice about therefore in verse 19 it's a, it's an important connection between verses 17 and 18 and verses 19 and 20 it shows that we have a king who fulfilled the law and therefore now this king demands deeper inner and greater obedience to the law verses 19 and 20 jesus said in verse verse 19 therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches others to do the same will be called great in the kingdom of heaven now when jesus is talking about relaxing the least of these commandments he is talking about something more than just an uh, isolated uh, breaking of the commandment i think he he is talking about the whole way of thinking in which we relax god's commandment and as strange as it may sound i think he has pharisees in mind here and we might be thinking well didn't the pharisees uh, or pharisees tighten the law rather than uh, relaxing the law i mean they tied even you know on, on their spices have you ever done that you know go to the pastor and say look you know, you know this is what i bought from the grocery store and you know i want to tie that this is what the pharisees did or you, you know they actually fasted twice a week you know we probably do once or twice a year maybe five times a year maximum so we might think that the pharisees had uh, tightened the law rather than relaxing it but here's the point by adding to the law they were in fact taking it away from the law by tightening the law they were in fact relaxing it and they relaxed the law by making the laws demand less demanding and they also relaxed the law by making the laws permission more permissive and we see that as we see the rest of the chapter of matthew's gospel in chapter 5 where jesus is talking about his, uh, you know murder or adultery or divorce the pharisee said that well we haven't killed anyone we haven't slept with anyone else other than our wife so we are okay and this is how they relax god's word by making the laws demand less demanding even though their hearts were corrupt even though they were doing the, all the things that the law was saying internally but you know they said outwardly we are all fine we are not sleeping with anyone we are not you know murdering anyone though their hearts were hard they were getting angry and doing all sorts of things and likewise they relaxed the laws demand by making it permission permission more permissive they said they you could divorce your wife for a whole lot of different reason uh, rather than the reason that that are given in Matthew chapter 5 Matthew 19 and even Paul says in 1st Corinthians 7 so do you see that Jesus diagnosis of the pharisees problem is not that they cared too much about the law rather his diagnosis is that they didn't care about god's word at all and now jesus is saying that my disciples my followers people who belong to my kingdom ought to behave differently 
we are to obey god's word we are to trust god's word both both for the portions that we like and also for the portions that we don't like so i wonder if that describes you i wonder if there are parts of the bible that you make less demanding and more permissive i wonder if there are parts of the bible that uh, you know you don't agree with or uh, there are certain doctrines that you, you you just completely ignore it could be your view of uh, morality it could be your view of sexuality you know it's like with kids sometime you know you tell the kid that okay you know i w- i want you to go to bed at 7:30 and they would you know nudge you they would say you know dad can i can i read my book can i keep the light on can i you know do this can i do that oh i have to go to the bathroom you know so the time keeps getting extended this is how sometimes we you know we act towards god's law we see how far we can go in breaking the commandment and we begin to act like pharisees now i understand that you know there are some you know some things that are gray in the scripture paul talks about that in first corinthians and we have to be very sensitive and wise in obeying those commandments in in figuring it out navigating how to handle those issues but so many things are also very plain in the scripture if god is commanding that we have to go and make disciples you know are we relaxing those commandments or what about this commandment on speech sometimes we wonder that you know how far we can go in 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 our speech and commit sin what about this commandment on giving not just money but even our time with the local church jesus said that we must not relax the least of his word instead we must follow it but here is the point we are to follow his word but we are to follow his word in a different way in a deeper way that's what verse 20 is all about imagine how shocked his disciple would have been when they heard him say in verse 20 that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven well we are to be more righteous than the super righteous pharisees is that what you are saying jesus and do you know that there was a saying in jesus time in israel during those days that if there were if there were two men who were supposed to go to heaven one would be a scribe and and the other would be a pharisee so you know jesus what are you talking about you know you are saying that we have to be super righteous than these super righteous pharisees i mean nobody else is in the running even because there are only two people that are going to heaven one is the scribe the other is the pharisee so how could ordinary people like us measure up to the standard of the pharisees and the teachers of the law well because the righteousness of the pharisees was only skin deep they were interested only in appearances and outward shows but their hearts were far away from god jesus said to them that's why jesus said to them that you are like whitewashed tombs you are like taj mahal of india you know it looks very beautiful from outside you know very gorgeous people love going there but on the inside it's full of dead bones and everything unclean and the pharisees had reduced the righteousness simply to a list of rule keeping is that your life you know just follow the rules you know the pharisee said okay you know i've checked all my boxes i go to church i give tithe i i i went to the temple i i prayed you know i've kept away from you know all those you know bad influences and, and i'm good their religion operated on this principle that i keep the rules and therefore i'm cool you know i'm accepted by god but that's not the gospel 
Actually, that's legalism. Legalism is a human attempt to earn God's favor through our labor. That's what legalism is. But the gospel is just the opposite. The gospel says that I am accepted not because of what I have done. I am accepted because of what Christ has done for me by living a perfect life and by dying on the cross on behalf of my sins and raising again for my justification. That's what the gospel is. And that's why now I obey not out of, you know, you know grudging disobedience, but I obey out of love, out of joy. And, you know, some time ago in our community group, we were uh, looking at this book of Colossians. And it's very interesting, you know, the, the book of Colossians, the writer is actually saying, uh, is talking about, you know, that Christ alone. That's basically kind of a theme of the whole book. And in chapter 3, if you see, he's giving the commandment that, you know, put your heart on things above. But when he's giving the commandment, he's saying that put to death whatever belongs to earthly nature. In chapter 3, verse 5 following, and he talks about uh, sins of, uh, you know, sexual sin and sins of speech. But even before he gives any commandment, he actually bases it all on our identity, on our union with Christ. He says, we died with Christ, we rose again with Christ, we are with him, and we are you know, going to be seeing him in the new heaven and the new earth. So he's base, he bases all of those commandments on our union with Christ. See, remind, he reminds the people of, of Colossae of the gospel of Christ. And that's how we ought to be obeying the scripture. You know, this is what Christ has done for us. And I want to obey, not out of fear, but out of love, out of joy. And that's what Jesus means by our righteousness, exceeding that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The righteousness that Jesus demands from us is not more in degree, but more in depth. The righteousness he's concerned after is the heart righteousness and not external righteousness. Jesus knows all too well that uh, we can do all the right thing with the wrong heart. He knows that we can honor him with our lips, yet our hearts can be million miles away from him. So what about us? Is our righteousness external? Is it merely confined to rule keeping? Or is it internal? Are we like the Pharisees who grudgingly obey the rules? Or are we like the psalmist who says, oh, how I love your law? He says in Psalm 119. Are we like the elder brother in the prodigal son story who stayed with the father, but you know, yet he was far away from the father because, you know, he did all of those things, you know, out of, you know, uh, out of grudging, you know, obedience? Or are we like those, that psalmist who loves God's law? Or let me, let me put it this way. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Why do you come to church? Why do you give? Is it because uh, you want appreciation from others? Is that the main reason? Or is it because you, know, you are concerned about others? Or is it because you want you know, to please God and honor God and live for Christ, who is the ultimate satisfaction of your life? Do you obey him because you have to? Or because you are forced to? Or because you love to? Now Jesus is saying that the righteousness that I am after is the law written on our heart. Is the Jeremiah 31 kind of righteousness. 
The righteousness I want to see is the Ezekiel 36 righteousness. God says in Ezekiel chapter 36 that I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. The heart righteousness that Jesus demands is impossible without a new heart. But here is the good news of the gospel that God can perform a heart surgery on you if you are here today and if you are not a follower of Jesus. He can give you, he can give you a new, a soft, a tender heart. He can take away the, the, the old and stony hard heart and he can replace it with a soft and a tender heart. If you come to him with humility, with poverty of spirit, mourning over your sin, he will take out the old, stony, hard heart, which is concerned only about external righteousness, and he will replace it with a new, soft heart, a heart that beats for him, a heart that longs to obey his word. Not perfectly, of course, but substantially, observably, and increasingly. And when that happens, we don't just obey the New Testament, but we obey the Old Testament as well. Of course, we are not to obey the Old Testament in the same way as the Jews did. That's where A.J. Jacobs got it wrong. We live after Christ fulfilling the law. So we don't obey the law, uh, you know, and, and perform all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. No, we obey the law in the sense that we look at those sacrifices and how those sacrifices point towards the ultimate sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Marcion got it wrong. The Old Testament matters because the Old Testament tells us how to honor our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the point of the old whole scripture. And wouldn't it be right to say that the one who is the point of all the scripture should be the point of our life? Because we read right at the beginning of the service that he is the you know, point of all the cosmos. He created all things, he sustains all things, and all of those things were created by him and for him. And wouldn't it be great that this savior, this creator who gives new life you know, to us should be the point of our life. Well, let's ask God to help us in our Christian walk. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for reminding us that uh, there is only one that is our Lord Jesus Christ who fully fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Now we don't have to prove anything, but we need to believe and continue believing in his finished work. Father, we pray that uh, you would continue to uh, teach us more about Christ and how to long for him, thirst for him, live for him. And we pray, O oh Lord, for... Uh, uh, this church uh, that you have uh, purchased by your blood, that you are building, O oh Lord, on your word. We pray that uh, this church, O oh Lord, in this area would continue to lift you up, continue to honor you in all that they are and in all that they do. And we pray this in our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen.